Today's sermon titled, The Faith and Wisdom of Simeon, will be taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. So if you haven't closed your Bibles from the Scripture reading, remain there in Luke 2. I'll be reading verses 25 through 35 as our text. Here once again, the very Word of God. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, as we consider the advent of our Savior Jesus, his first coming, and we think of the many... uh, circumstances that surrounded his birth, that his mother conceived by the Holy Spirit, uh, that his earthly father would not put him away, or his wife away, but rather uh, obeyed your word given by the angels to uh, remain with Mary and to uh, be her husband. We thank you for uh, the meager uh, Example, the humble example that he gave us in his birth, uh, being laid in a manger in a cattle stall, that men of common means, shepherds, would come and worship him at the prompting of the angel, the angelic host. We thank you for the Magi who traveled uh, many, many miles from the east to come and worship the king and to give him gifts in worship. We thank you for his preservation from Herod who sought his death. And Father, we thank you for both Simeon and Anna who testified of the Messiah in his earliest days. Lord, all of these facts that we think of are important to us. And we pray, Father, as we look into the life of Simeon at the birth of Christ, that his example would be one that we emulate before men. And we ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Brethren, it is a challenge each year to uh, bring a, a, a sermon that is uh, fresh and different, maybe a little bit, uh, about uh, the advent of Christ. It's such a well-known story in our faith, and rightly so. Uh, today is no different. It was a bit of a challenge this week, but as I looked over the passage in Luke 2, uh, I realized that I had not, had never preached on Simeon or Anna, two people who were 
prominent enough in, in that day that they are included in the Scriptures. Just to have a, a few short sentences uh, spoken of about uh, anyone in the Scriptures is, is a profound thing. I, I think of Shamgar in the book of Judges, who I think there may be two verses about Shamgar, that he took a, 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 an ox goat and he killed, I think it was 300 or 600 Philistines with an ox goat. And that's all it's said about him. Yet he was a, a a judge in Israel. He was a prominent person who who did the work of the Lord in the Old Testament. Well, these two characters in it uh, toward the end of chapter two in Luke Luke's gospel, uh, Simeon and Anna, are similar in the respect that very little is said about them and known about them, and yet they are important. What what is known about them is so important that it's included in the scriptures. And so I thought it would be helpful for us to pause and at least look at Simeon's life. We won't have time to look at Anna's, uh, but Simeon's life and his his words of blessing that he gives both to our Savior as well as to uh, Mary and Joseph uh, when he is confronted with the Lord at the temple. Today's a day of rejoicing, no doubt. The joy of our salvation should permeate our hearts and come out our lips in praise and song. The Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, has come to earth. God is with us. He is the consolation of all Israel and a light unto the Gentiles. The entire cosmos has changed. God has become a man and dwells among us, and we have beheld his glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. No longer shall God teach us with types and examples, but all revelation culminates in the living, breathing Word of God made flesh. Comfort ye, my people, says says your God. Behold, the King of glory has come. Who is this King of glory? You shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. Today we do rejoice in our God's glorious provision to bring salvation to men through the person of His only begotten Son. Jesus came to earth to be a ransom for men dead in their trespasses and sins. Jesus, a meek and lowly child, born to a carpenter and his wife, who was miraculously conceived, would grow to manhood and give His life for the sins of the world. So today we praise God for our Lord's advent. His first coming. We rejoice with the angelic host of heaven who said to the shepherds in the field, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Though today's passage from Luke 2, 25 to 35 is not a typical passage chosen for an Advent sermon, it is a passage included in the Advent narrative. Our passage today tells of an uncommon man or excuse me, of a common man with an uncommon faith. A man whose faith is the substance of what he had hoped for throughout the days of his life and the evidence of that which he had not yet seen but would see in our passage. What had not yet been seen was about to change. Simeon was the man's name and, a very, and very little is known about him. To my knowledge, this is the only occurrence in the scriptures where he's mentioned. Simeon is a just and devout man, and he is at the temple on the day when Jesus is to be circumcised, the eighth day following Jesus' birth. 
We do not know if Simeon was a priest in either the lines of Levi or Aaron. The scriptures are silent. But what we do know about Simeon is what is important for us today. Simeon was a man in communion with God, desiring to see the kingdom of God in its fullness. He was a man devoted to heralding the truth of God to others, and he was a man who desired to be a blessing to others. This becomes the outline for my sermon today. So let's look at Simeon's communion with God. Brethren, men of faith live in eager expectation for God to do his mighty works. Let me say that again. Men of faith live in eager expectation for God to do his mighty works. They are men who have an internal optimism that is almost indescribable. They are overcomers because God, because God has given them eyes to see his promises, his promises and the hope of eternal life in his blessed kingdom. Men of faith don't need all the details. They don't even need to have the fullness of the promises rewarded in this life. Men of faith can live quite contentedly with the mere promise from a God who keeps his promises. Simeon was that kind of man. He was devoted to his God and he lived out that devotion. Consequently, Simeon had certain attributes that evidenced his unwavering faith. Three times in our passage, the Holy Spirit is mentioned as being evident in Simeon's life. First in verse 25, we read, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Then in the next verse, verse 26, we read, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then lastly, in verse 27, So he came by the Spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit of God was not a foreigner to Simeon. Rather, it appears that the Holy Spirit was a constant companion to Simeon. Simeon was eagerly awaiting the consolation of Israel in verse 25. So much so that the Holy Spirit had promised to reveal the Christ to Simeon before his death. Let me make a comment here about this this promise that the Holy Spirit gave to Simeon. There's no indication in the scriptures that Simeon asked to see uh, the consolation of Israel before his death. The only statement that's here is that the Holy Spirit granted that to Simeon. It wasn't as it doesn't appear to be something he appealed for, and yet the Holy Spirit was gracious enough to give it to him. Might it have been a reward for his faithfulness? A gracious reward from God for his faithfulness. Furthermore, it was it's no unusual thing that Simeon would go to the temple. That particular day might have been a bit unusual, but Simeon's communion with the Holy Spirit was so very close that the prompting of Simeon to go to the temple in verse 27 was likely not an unusual occurrence. Simeon's communion with the Holy Spirit was not an unusual circumstance. It was his daily walk. We get the impression from the passage that his communion with the Holy Spirit was like taking breaths. It was how he lived. He lived in communion with God. It was an essential part of his daily life. 
Furthermore, Simeon's anticipation for the coming Messiah was of a specific nature. In verse 25, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Likely in your Bibles, the word consolation is capitalized. This is considered one of the names of Christ in the Scripture, the consolation of Israel. Well, why did Israel need to be consoled? Why did they need to be comforted and reassured? Could it be that their God had turned his face from them in their iniquity? Remember that when Simeon is making this observation, God had been silent with his people of of Israel for over 400 years. But now the silence is broken. That silence is broken. Well, when did it begin? In Isaiah chapter 8, verses 13 through 17, we read these words. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear. And let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. God has hidden his face from Jacob, the sons of Jacob, all Israel, both houses, the northern ten tribes in Judah and Benjamin in the south. God has hidden his face from them for 400 years. But now, this people, who apparently had been, uh, God had turned his back to, he will now turn to with consolation in the person of Jesus Christ. A just and devout man, Simeon, knew his God is a God of mercy, but that mercy does not exist unless there is sin from which there must be an atonement. Consolation had to come because the relationship had been broken between God and His people because of their sin. I believe Simeon understood this, and that is why he longed for the consolation of Israel. Jesus the Christ, the Prince of Peace, would bring a consolation to Israel by paying the price for their sins. Consolation for sinners can only be found in the sacrifice of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Brethren, he is our consolation as well. We are the sons of Jacob. Well, Simeon proclaims this great truth. He blesses both his Savior as well as Mary and Joseph. So let's look at those blessings. We know that Simeon uh, proclaimed God's truth to men in the midst of the temple when Christ had come to be circumcised. In verse 29, he pronounces this blessing upon the Savior. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The Holy Spirit had goaded Simeon to go to the temple on this particular day. It is unclear if Simeon knew why he was going to the temple that day, but he was acting in obedience to the call of the Holy Spirit of God. 
Upon arriving there, Simeon undoubtedly was shown by the Holy Spirit why he was there. He was there to witness the promised Messiah in his very midst. Not only that, after Jesus is circumcised, our passage tells us that Simeon takes his Lord and Savior in his arms and declares these now famous words. Holding the Lord Jesus, he says, Lord, now you are letting me, letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He says those words as he holds his Lord in his arms. This is not just the consolation of Israel, brethren. Jesus is the light of the world. And Simeon says that in the temple. That's significant. Not only will the the, the sons of Jacob be blessed by the Savior, the entire world, the Gentiles, will be illuminated by this light that's come. That's why the whole cosmos has changed. Salvation wasn't just for a few. It's for all who put their trust in Him. Regardless of what nation or tongue or people that we belong to. God became a God and Savior to all men. Now Mary and Joseph are marveling at what they're witnessing. This man, whom they presumably didn't know until that very day, a wise man in the faith. There are some commentators who believe that this was a reference to Simon who lived at that time, who was one of the great teachers in Israel I just learned this week that uh, master teachers are in, in the Jewish tradition. There are so very few of them, you can count them on two hands. I think there have only been six or seven recognized throughout the history of Israel. And they believe that Simon or Simeon here may have been one of those men. Uh, that he was a, a doctor of the faith. Uh, uh, not, and not just any doctor, he was a profound doctor of the faith. Well, Mary and Joseph marvel at what they are witnessing. Here, an obvious man of God is proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, this isn't news to them. When the angels had come to them, that revelation was already made known to Mary and Joseph. But now it's being witnessed before other men in no no other place but the temple itself. The place of God. As they marvel, Simeon turns to them and makes a further proclamation. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He's speaking this directly to Mary. As I mentioned before, God's mercy must be made evident to the whole world and justice must be meted out for the sins of men for mercy to have any meaning meaning at all. Mercy doesn't exist absent God requiring justice to be had. Because mercy is with the the withholding of wrath that's due those who are sinners. So sin must be judged otherwise mercy doesn't exist. He's saying these things prophetically to Mary. 
that Jesus would bring about the fall and rising of many in Israel. Furthermore, that Mary's own heart will be pierced as with a sword, that many hearts might be revealed. Well, well, what does this mean? This seems to be an obscure way to say something. This reference to Mary is most likely the day in which she will witness her son's own death on the cross. It's a hard thing for any mother or father, but in this case it's a reference to Mary, to outlive your own children, the lives of your own children. To witness the death of a child, that is a very difficult thing to endure. Yet, Mary would witness that. But there's a promise that goes with that witness. We'll look at that in just a moment. The very act of Jesus dying on the cross will make possible the circumcision of many hearts all over the world. Sinful hearts will be turned to hearts of flesh as men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will be added to the kingdom of God. Keep in mind, Simeon is making these statements when Christ is circumcised. But now he's talking about the hearts of Mary and the people of the world. A circumcision has to happen there. According to Ezekiel chapter 36, men's hearts have to be circumcised. This is the context in which he is saying these things to Mary and Joseph. Now we likely wonder how this is a blessing to Mary. But that is exactly how the Scriptures describe this. Simeon declares two blessings in in this passage. First, in verse 28, Simeon takes up the babe in his arm and blesses God with his declaration of God's faithfulness. And here, we see that it what it means to be a blessing to God. He takes this miraculous event, the coming of the salvation, the consolation of Israel, and he turns to Mary and Joseph in verse 34 and blesses them with what seems to be a blessing that's not much of a blessing, right? There seems to be a lot of grief involved in that. The child would be destined for raising the humble to new heights, and destroying the arrogant and haughty in Israel. This would not be easy, nor would it happen without great cost. But brethren, to to change the hearts of men, to circumcise hearts all over the world, while appeasing the justice of God, only the God-man could possibly bring these two things about at the same time. Therefore, though Simeon's prophetic words to Mary and Joseph may have been hard to hear, Those prophetic words are a blessing to all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And this brings us to a brief application. For those who are filled with the Spirit of God, Simeon is a profound example to us showing forth what it means to be an expectant servant of a promise-keeping God living as a blessing to others in exuberant, hopeful expectation of His return. This points to how we are to act even now. This wasn't just for Simeon. There's another coming of Christ, is there not? Are we exuberant and expectant about that second coming? Do we live in the Spirit as Simeon did? Do we faithfully 
bring about his, his honor in worship, not just on the Sabbath day, but throughout our lives? Do we live in communion with him like taking our next breath as it appears that Simeon did? And can we bless God by declaring to him the very things he's promised to us? When we look at his blessing toward his Savior, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That was a blessing to God, according to the Scriptures. Repeating back to God the very things He does. He wants us to confess Him in the world. And each Sunday when we gather, that's the purpose of our confession of faith. The purpose of our confession of faith is to bless God. What you desired is happening even now in your presence by your people. Confessing that you are Lord, that you are the Savior of the world, that your will is being done and will be done as you've promised. That's how we bless our God. But it doesn't end there. There is an application for those who have not yet trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you've not put your trust in Christ, He is the consolation of sinners. He brings about salvation to those who are far from Him. He is a light to the world and the one who consoles the person who humbles himself before God in confession and repentance. He is the consolation of God. For those who have not trusted in Christ, fear the judge of all men. Fear Him. That was the message of Isaiah 8. Humble yourself before the Savior of the world. Repent of your sins and He will lift you up. Let us pray together.